The, uh, I read Psalms 103 this week and last week, and it made such an impression on me um, that I just want to share it with you, and we'll call it Meditations on Psalm 103 today. And so whenever you meditate, it's kind of nice to get comfortable, right? So if your feet don't stink, you can take off your shoes and kind of just relax a little bit. Because that's how you receive, right, is when you're relaxed. If you're tense, uh, it's, it's hard to receive from the Lord. But just one thought about this word meditations. There is nothing like meditating, right? We talk about prayer. We talk about reading the Bible. We don't talk enough about meditating, Meditation is a spiritual discipline, just like prayer, just like study, just like witnessing. It's, 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 a, it's a discipline, a spiritual discipline, and it's an absolutely wonderful spiritual discipline. It allows the Word of God to go from here down into here, from your head down into your heart. If we don't meditate, we'll have a lot of head knowledge, but we won't have a lot of heart knowledge. And so we need to take the Word of God and digest it and turn it and twist it, not twist it, but look at it, look at it from different angles, different the different facets, like you would a diamond has different facets. The Word of God is that way. And that's why when we read the Bible, it can mean something new and fresh, even though we've read the same thing maybe 10 or 50 times. And so meditations on Psalms 103, this is not transcendental meditation, okay? This is not yoga, which came from transcendental meditation. It's the same source, Hinduism. Um, this is Christian meditation. See, uh, transcendental meditation or the new age or yoga seeks to empty your mind, which is very, very bad. If you, if you have an empty mind, something is going to fill it, and it's not going to be a good thing. <laughs> we want to fill our mind. So Christian meditation doesn't seek to empty its mind or his mind or mind. It seeks to fill the mind, to fill the mind with all the goodness of God, the, 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 the word of God. That's why in Joshua 1 and in Psalms 1, it speaks of meditating on the word of God. In Joshua 1, meditating on it day and night. And this is my New Year's resolution or my kind of task from the Lord, he's already told me that in 2020, I want you meditating on my word day and night. And I've already kicked it into high gear. I'm already working on that. Fail sometimes, sometimes I succeed. But meditations on Psalms 103, you can open up there. We'll skip around a couple of scriptures, but we'll be in 103, Psalms 103 the entire time here. It starts off by saying, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Now, the first thing that pops out at me is this. The psalmist, who's, I believe, David, I know is David, he says, he's, ta he's talking to himself. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. He talks to himself. And I would, I would encourage you, we need to talk to ourselves a little bit more. When we're down, talk to yourself. Say, get up. Stop, stop being down right now. If you're being tempted, talk to yourself. Get out of this room right now or turn that channel right now. And I'll give you an example because I was practicing this. I was thinking about this. And this last night, uh, the dining room table is full of fudge and cookies and fruitcakes and pies. And I looked at that table and I had this artificial hunger pain. It wasn't real. And 
I told myself, because I'd been meditating on this scripture, Steve, turn away from the table. You're laughing. I'm dead serious. Turn away from the table. Go eat an apple. And I did it. I turned away from the table. I went and got myself an apple, some pistachio nuts, ate them. I looked at the table again. I spoke to myself again. I said, turn away from the table and walk away. And I walked away. I laid down last night thinking, that is powerful. Speaking to yourself is a powerful tool that enables you to be, have more control over yourself. Absolutely powerful. Psalmist speaks to himself. So we need to talk to ourselves more. But he says, my soul, all my inmost being. And we have an inner man, an inner person, who only comes alive with the presence of Jesus. All of us have somewhat of an inner person, but that person doesn't come fully alive until we say, Jesus, come into my life. And Jesus brings to, to, to new life a person inside of us that we've never known before. The new man, the new woman. And if we've ever encountered Jesus, we know what this, this feels like. I'm a new person. I'm a different person. I don't do the old things or say the old things that I used to. I don't react the way. And I'll tell you what, get closer to Jesus and that inner man will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And your enemies will get smaller and smaller and smaller. You'll have more authority over the things in and around your life than you've ever had before. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, my inmost man. I've been asking, it also says, praise his holy name. I've been, I'm, honestly, you're going to think I'm goofy. I've been thinking about this for years. What is the significance of God's name? Because all throughout the Bible, his name this, his name that, the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord. He's, his name is healer. His name is provider. I get the significance, but at the same time, I don't. And even of late, just the last couple of weeks, I've been asking, God, what is the significance of your name? What I know it in my head, but I don't get it completely. I don't fully understand it. Well, as we've been talking about God's sovereignty, it finally came to me the significance of God's name or his names, if you will. And it's that his name is sovereign. His name represents his sovereignty. When God says something, it happens. If God commands the ravens to go fly out into the desert and feed two million people, they do it. If he says, I give command of my angels to protect you so that your foot won't even hit a stone, it happens. The sovereignty of God is accompanied by the name of God. His name is sovereign. That's why we can say anybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved because his name is completely sovereign. Completely. There's no other name on earth that has the sovereignty of God's name. No other name. So I started just looking in Psalms, different Psalms, and uh, in, in some of it in the New Testament as well. But remember in, in the Lord's Prayer, the first the first piece of the prayer it says hallowed be your name why do we hallow his name because his name is sovereign his name is sovereign uh we hear in scripture it says his name he's been given a name above every name why is what what is the significance of it? his name is sovereign you speak the name of jesus in a non-christian circle and everybody's hair bristles and you get this very uncomfortable feeling. Why? Because the name of the sovereign God has been spoken 
amongst the ears of people who don't accept them as such, and it makes them feel very uncomfortable. All right? That's why the Bible talks about praising and loving God's name. The Bible says to love his name. The Bible says to praise his name. Why? It's sovereign. It makes perfect sense to me now. It's sovereign. That's why we love and we praise his name. His name is to be feared. Why would you fear the name of God? Because it's sovereign. It's sovereign. His name is to be trusted. Why could you trust the name of God? Who is there? Can I trust the name of my wife? I'm going to trust in Tina, the name Tina. No. No, no, no. I can only trust in the name of Jesus. See the difference there, the sovereignty there? It's amazing. His name protects us. We declare his name because it's sovereign. His name guides us and leads us. Uh, his name exalts us. Did you hear that? You start giving, giving the sovereign uh, connotation that God deserves of his name, and his name will literally lift you up, exalt you, and give you honor. Because you've honored his name, his name will honor you. His name gives victory. We sang that this morning in the song that Sarah laid. His name is victory. His name gives victory. His name saves. Uh, we're to love his name. We're to seek his name. Uh, his name helps us. His name is not to be misused. Why would you not swear in Jesus, you know, Jesus and say his name in vain? Because it's sovereign makes perfect sense now why would you uh, uh his name is good we're to be baptized in his name his name drives out demons and performs miracles his name is something that we put our hope in uh we gather in his name what other place would you gather in somebody's name that doesn't happen it doesn't it doesn't even make sense until you realize the name that we gather in is sovereign and his name is holy the list goes on and on and on and on the name of god is sovereign so it says praise his holy name let's continue on in psalms 103 but here it says praise the lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits and this is a warning this is a warning to Christians. Don't forget the benefits of the covenant that Jesus has given you. Don't forget them. Don't forget them because if you do, in your life, you could miss out on blessings and help and support and victories. You might miss out on them. And look around. Look at other Christians. Don't judge them. But maybe critique them and say, are they living in all the benefits that God has for them? And look at yourself, more importantly. Are you living in all of the benefits that God has for you? Or are you falling short just because your belief system is a little lower than what the Bible has to offer, all right? So this is a, this is a warning. Many have fallen short of the benefits. Good Christian people, godly people, have fallen short of all the benefits that God has to offer. Many are falling short today, and many will fall short in the future. Do you want to be one of those people, or do you want every good thing that God has for you? Now, I'll tell you a story. It's not a true story, all right? So please don't go off and, and say this was something you heard uh, me quote from the Bible. But there was this man, all right, just for, for sake of, ex uh, of example. This man that died, he goes to heaven. He goes through the pearly gates. St. Peter starts escorting him around the streets. And he sees the beautiful mansions and, and the, the tree of life. And he sees, but at one point, he walks by this warehouse. And he and St. Peter walk by in silence. Up until now, 
Peter's been explaining this, that, and the other, but they walk in silence, and they keep walking. This warehouse keeps going and going and going and going. And finally, the man asks, what about this? You've explained every other structure here, everything that I've seen, but you haven't explained this. He says, oh, you, you don't want to know. They keep walking. And he finally says, I really do want to know what, what is this warehouse all about. He says, well, if you really must know, they walk into a little door, and they, and they see shelves and shelves stacked super high like a warehouse you would see of presents presents and with little names under each one most of them full of presents and finally he says well is my name in here and he says yes yeah do you want to see it so he walks finally gets to his row and there is his name all these presents and he says what what are these presents he says these are all the things that god wanted to do for you while you were alive but you missed out on them now, obviously, just a story as a sacred example, but there's a warning here. Don't forget the benefits that God has for you. Are you going to go through suffering? Yes. Are you going to go through trials? Yes. Are you going to suffer pain at times in your life? Yes. Are you going to have tragedies in your life? Yes. But God has blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Now, see, the prosperity teaching would tell you it's all good, bed of roses, and everything's going to be perfect. I believe that there's a lot of good things that God wants for your life. Many, many good things in spite of all the bad stuff that we face because we live in a fallen world with sin and bad stuff, and God uses even the bad stuff for our good. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But we have these benefits I sure don't want to miss out on my benefits, all right? Um, my son was telling me, he has a, a friend that just joined the Army, and this guy, the Army doesn't just tell you all the benefits that you're going to get. You have to go kind of find them and take appropriate them, and I'm sure our veterans can, <laughs> can identify with this as well. You know what? We need to go appropriate our benefits. Go find out what they are. It's all in one single solitary book in one place, Find those benefits and say, God, I want every one of them. I want every one of them. But here, many of them are listed here. I found it interesting in prayer this morning as we were praying. My dad was praying this, and I was like, wow, this, is, this must be the Spirit of God putting this out there for us to, to address this morning. But it says, who forgives, I'm back in Psalms 103, who forgives all your sins. Okay, does he forgive just some of your sins? No, it says, all your sins every single last solitary one of them do you want that benefit well some christians never quite live in that victory of complete forgiveness they beat themselves up over and over i messed up i'm not good enough and sometimes that puts a rebellious streak in christians because they feel so bad about themselves they go off and they just start saying that's just who i am that's who i am I'm not good. I'm not the best. I'm not perfect. I'm not even going to try to be perfect. You know what? God has forgiven you. Start walking in complete, total, utter forgiveness. If God forgave you, you forgive you too. <laughs> you know, walk in that forgiveness. But this is what blows me away. Forgives all your sins. We, we're generally okay with that. But then it says, heals all your diseases. All your diseases. Well, here's the immediate thing that we do. We say, well, Aunt Susie... She died of cancer, you know, and she was sick all her life, and she was a godly woman. I tell you what, don't let someone, someone else's experience limit the blessings of God in your life. Don't do it. 
Aunt Susie was Aunt Susie. You live your life and you say, Jesus, I want every single thing that you have for me. And I'm willing to wait for it. If it's not today, I'm not going to get discouraged. If I don't get it tomorrow, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm just going to receive it by faith. And I'm just going to live in it right now as if it already was something that I had. Because God tells me that. So he, forgive, he heals all your diseases. And I love to kind of go down this list because our minds can play tricks on us. Okay, diseases. That includes injuries. That includes uh, something stupid that I did maybe, that I injured myself. God will even heal that, all right? I could have been a smoker my whole life, and God can still heal my lungs, you know? I could have drunk my whole life. He can still heal my liver, you know? He heals all my diseases, praise God, even things that people were born with. We talked about that, right? Go through all the laundry list. Praise God. It's not limited to any one thing. He heals all our diseases. Wonderful benefit. Who redeems your life from the pit? Again, back in Psalms 103, redeems your life from the pit. So picture me. Sometimes whenever, whenever I meditate, I'm laying on my bed, let's say on Saturday morning. It's kind of rare because usually somebody's playing basketball that I have to go to a game two or whatever. But let's say on a rare Saturday I'm sleeping in. I get my phone. I put it up to my eyes. I get the first verse. I'm not even fully awake, and I just start thinking about, well, this was one of those mornings. I pull it up, and I say, redeems your life from the pit. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that, you know, pit? I wonder what pit means in Hebrew. You know what pit means in Hebrew? It means pit. <laughs> means a hole in the ground, all right? Namely, a grave. Namely, a grave. He redeems your life you think you're dead. You think your life is over. Your finances are crumbled or your health is crumbled. You think you're dead. He redeems you out of that grave. Praise God. I started looking at all the scriptures where pit was used. It referred to destruction. It refers to decay, the decay of the human body. He redeems you from the decay of the human body. He redeems you. Pit is also used as a trap. You've fallen into a trap you can't get out of God. And you say, I put myself here. I deserve to be here. And God says, no, I'm going to redeem you anyways, praise God. How's that for victory? He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. You know what? When God puts a crown on your head, you are a magnet for his favor. <laughs> He's crowned you with love. And and that's how uh, Psalms 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. How is that possible? Because the crown of love and compassion God has put on your head. It just gravitates to you. Good things just happen to you. Bad things do too. All right? But God makes even the bad things work out for good for you. But good things gravitate to you. And then I, I look at Isaiah 3, um, 3.10. Um, it says, tell the righteous, it'll go well with them. So Isaiah is a prophet. He's been prophesying all this horror that's going to happen to Israel because they've been bad, Judah and Israel. And, and, and God says, you know what? He takes a pause in all of these bad things. He says, oh, hold on a second. But tell the righteous, it's going to go well with them. Praise the Lord. You know, 10,000 may fall at your right side, but it won't come near you. Why? Because you're crowned with love and compassion. 
Believe it. Receive it. This is a benefit that God has given you. Or in Mark 16, uh, 17 through 13. So Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will do this. They will do that. These signs will accompany. You believe you're crowned with love and compassion. You know, miraculous signs are going to accompany you. They're going to happen even sometimes when you're not praying for them. I've seen that. I've been, I've, that's just been revealed to me lately. So that's a benefit from, from God. Um, and then I come back. Let me just, I can't help myself here. It says, crowned you with love and compassion. All right. Um, that love, it's not so much about how much you love God. It's about how much he loves you. That's the life-changing thing. And so when you read Revelations is this, Revelations 2, you're this holy roller. Uh, you have forsaken your first love. You need to love God more. That's not what that scripture is saying. That scripture is saying go back and receive the, God, the love that God has for you. Because you know what? You can only love people as much as you receive love from God for yourself. You're a cup and you can only give out as much as you've received. So go back. That's why Jesus said, remain in my love. Because as long as you're in the love of God, you're going to be able to forgive, forget, love people. So receive the love of God in your life. It's not about how much you love God. It's about how much he loves you. And then you reciprocate all that love right back to him and right back to everybody that's around you goes on in Psalms 103, it says, Who satisfies your desires with good things. Praise the Lord. I look at some of the things, I look at my family. How on earth to have four kids that love God and serve God? You know what? It's just a good thing, you know? And you say, well, I, you know, that didn't happen to me. Look at the good things God has done for you and stop staring at the bad things that you don't have quite yet. God's going to do it. Stop dwelling on the negative and start dwelling on the positives that God has done for you. And God's going to give you even more positives. But if we're negatively minded, I tell you what, that's the most destructive thing the enemy does to us. He satisfies our desires with good things. I think of Psalms 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Yes, he will change your desires to be higher. But you know what? He will also give you the desires of your heart. What do you want? Ask God for it. And he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Now this is one that I'm just going to pause on just for a second. I can't help myself. It says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now if you really buy into this, this is a powerful benefit from the Lord. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. <laughs> Let that settle in just for a second. Abraham was a hundred years old, finally began to be able to have kids. And you read the scriptures carefully enough, he didn't just have Isaac. God started giving him more children and more children and more children. Absolutely amazing. And so I'll tell you what, the Bible says your youth will be renewed like the eagles. There's an example. Abraham was his youth was literally renewed. 
literally renewed. Caleb was another man. Moses went on to live 120 years, leading 2 million people. He didn't die of sickness. He died because it was his time. In some respects, he was almost ageless. Amazing. His youth was renewed like that of an eagle. But let, let me tell you about Caleb just really quick. In Joshua 14.6, and I won't read all this, the, scripture, the scriptures here, but it says, um, Caleb is speaking of himself. He, when he was 40 years old, was one of the 12 spies that went into the land. And he, only he and Joshua came back with a good report. And he says, 45 years the Lord has kept me alive. So he was 85 years at this point. And listen to what he says. So I'm here today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then. Let me tell you what. Your youth will be renewed as the eagles. Accept that benefit and start living in it, for crying out loud. Start living in it in the name of Jesus. Don't, don't, let any, don't settle for anything less. Anything less. I love this in Romans 8, 11. And this is another scripture that's just been really bouncing around in my, in my thoughts. It says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because, the, because of his spirit who lives in you. Why? Are you, why are we alive right now? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. <laughs> then you say, well, why was I alive before I came to Christ? Let me tell you, one thing kept you alive before Christ, and it was sin. Believe it or not, sin is what kept you running. The addict is able to stay alive and function because they're looking for the next hit. The workaholic is able to stay alive because they're looking to work another day. All right. The, the, the man or woman who's consumed with lust is looking for that next exhilarating experience of looking at someone uh, that they shouldn't be looking at. That's what's keeping them alive. Now that we're Christians, the Spirit himself is giving us life day in, day out. Not just any old life, eternal life, whole life, healed lives, complete lives. That's the life that God gives us. So, again, he renews our youth like that of the eagles. Continue on in Psalms 103, it says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And I go back to that thought, man, of those, those uh, shepherds that were living out in the fields, meaning they were homeless. They were homeless. They didn't have a place to live. Who did God reveal that Jesus was born that night? He revealed it to the shepherds. So if you think you're the lowest, the least, the worst, the, the puniest, God wants you. He, he, he works righteousness and justice for you. That's who he's, he's working righteousness and justice for. Then I love this next scripture. He says, he made, way, he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Israelites were constantly complaining, constantly griping, constantly getting off on the right path. God said, I'm going to reveal to you my deeds, but I'm not going to reveal to you my ways because you won't walk in them. But Moses, on the other hand, I'm going to go ahead and show him my ways. And if, if, if I were you, I want to see God's miracles, but I'd rather just know God's ways. Because in walking in his ways, I'm going to see his miracles anyways, right? I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to talk with God. I'm going to hear from God. And so I want to know God's ways. I want to know God more than his gifts. 
Some people say in this church, why, why don't we see more of the gifts of the Spirit operate? Well, it'll happen when it happens, all right? We're going to seek God, the giver of all gifts, and at some point the gifts will be operating alive and well because that's what God wants. So continues on, God is, is uh, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And David, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, was saying this of God, not knowing of the revelation of his son Jesus, who would make all of these things possible. All right? David couldn't explain why God could be this way, this merciful and gracious God towards a sinful people. But you know what? Jesus has come and he's taken all our accusations away. Every ac accusing voice that you he came and he paid the price for it. He doesn't ask you to make yourself righteous. He says, I'm going to pay, I'm going to give you righteousness for free. Just accept my righteousness. It says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Um, you, you know what fear of the Lord is? Fear of the Lord is caring more about what God thinks than what people think. That's what fear of the Lord. It's not sitting there trembling in, of, uh, in fear of God. It's saying, God, I care what you think more than what I care about anybody else in this whole wide world thinks i'm getting rid of my approval addiction my codependency and i'm trusting in god almighty and him alone that's fear of the lord and so uh, we've got to get to this place we're on we're on a platform for god and we're not on a platform for people anymore i'm i'm it's an audience of one god is sitting out there in the audience and he's the only one that i'm trying to perform for it's just god an audience of one. So fear God. Um, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we were just dust. And some of us don't have a father figure. We never have had. Some of us do have a father figure. But for those of us who've never had a family, never had a father, you know, never had that experience, a lot of us tend to say, well, I can't comprehend how God is a good father because I never had a good father. That makes sense except for this. Is that how do you want to treat your kids when you have kids? All right? And all of a sudden when those roles are flipped and say, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be the, treat the way I was treated. I want to treat my kids differently. I want to be that father, that mother that I never had myself. And all of a sudden you can connect with God. Because you're saying, I want to be different. And God, you become my role model. Show me how to be the parent that you want me to be. And everything changes. And so, as a father has a compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we were, how we were formed, we were just dust. The life of mortals is like grass. We're almost finished here. They flourish like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place is in its place remembers it no more and i was thinking before i read this scripture just a week or two ago i was thinking my goodness you know sister leone is gone you know and others have passed away recently and their legacy will be remembered by their children but at some point generations aren't remembered anymore you know the history books tells the events but it doesn't remember that generation and that bothers me, doesn't it, you? I mean, 
good people have lived and they're going to be forgotten. And that bothers me. It, it, ooh, it just it rubs me wrong. But you know, and it says here, its place remembers it no more. This world won't remember you. So why are we trying to build such a legacy here if we won't be remembered here? But listen to this. But from everlasting, excuse me, but from everlasting to everlasting is the Lord's love for those who fear him. You will be remembered by who, it, by who needs to remember you, and that's God. He's going to remember you, and the, the things that you've done by his power, by his strength, out of your love, are going to never be forgotten by God. Never be forgotten by God. Praise the Lord. What an incredible thought. His righteousness to their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. And I'll, I'll uh, uh, almost end here. <laughs> um, is this concept of God's covenant. Did you know that your obedience is really not the most important thing in the whole wide world? I mean... I've grown up in church and heard this, you know, you need to be obedient. And you do, do need to be obedient. I'm not discounting it. But you know why you need to be obedient? Because God is sovereign. That's why we need to be obedient. Our obedience isn't gathering for us a wealth in heaven someday. We're obedient because we have a sovereign God who's in charge. And when he says to do something, it's in our best interest to just do it. And when he says not to do something, it's in our best interest not to do it. And so the whole point here is not our obedience. The whole point is God's sovereignty. And when we see God as such, as our sovereign, loving God, we're going to naturally be obedient. Obedience is not something that's hard to do. It's very easy to do. In fact, the Bible says it's done because we love God. The more you love God, the more you're going to obey God. It's just going to be a natural thing. So you don't get up in the morning and say, I've got to be obedient today. No, you get up in the morning and say, God, you're sovereign. I love you, and I want to do what you want me to do. It's, it's just that simple. Uh, so so I, I, I tend to think that we over-religion gets into Christianity, and we over-preach obedience. And I heard one preacher say, you know what? Obedience is not the root. It's the fruit. <laughs> obedience happens because other things have happened first. So we don't make our foundation off of obedience. We make it off of God's sovereignty. And so God is sovereign. Let's take his yoke upon us as we've studied already. He's in control. He's guiding us. He's directing us. But the psalm ends with this. Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host. You his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul.